Welcome to Profit First Nation, the official podcast for entrepreneurs who are operating their businesses in the zone of permanent profitability. I'm Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, and now here's your Profit First Nation guide, Daniel Mulvey. Hello, my entrepreneurial friends. We're back with our favorite guest, Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First and co-host of Profit First Nation. Welcome back, Mike. Danielle, it's always a joy to be here. Thanks for having me back. And uh, and now we're live on video. So if you have been listening to us on audio, don't forget you can catch us on YouTube live, not live, excuse me. You can catch us on, on YouTube um, in the flesh, you could say. So live to tape, we can say live to tape. <laughs> oh, live to tape. Thank you. Ah, so today it's an episode ending in eight, and that's when we dive into Mike's inbox. And we've got some great questions that uh, the master of Profit First will answer firsthand. So yeah. the first question is, hi, Mike, please assist. In regards to startup costs, I don't have enough savings and have had to put these startup costs on a credit card. What's your view on startup costs for a small business selling physical products? Hope you have a lovely day. Kind regards, Christine. It's funny, uh, Danielle and Christine. I was just watching Masterclass this morning and it was Sarah Blakely's story specifically. She had $5,000 in startup costs and that's all she ever spent. It's a billion dollar organization. So first of all, just to give context, there's always a way. And if we think that money's the only way, unfortunately, that's the way we'll go. But usually it's innovative thinking, uh, relationship building, um, you selecting vendors and, 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 and speaking with your customers integrally and honestly, that's the better solution. So here's some alternative considerations. If you don't have enough in savings, I don't invite you to max out the credit cards any further. I invite you to maybe do a Kickstarter campaign, reach out to existing customers and say, here's what's coming. Now, there's a risk. There's a, there's a currency beyond just what they're paying you. Um, they may be prepaying you for something um, in exchange for your product plus some extra bonuses. But what you're getting in return is, is additional new hype. So consider doing some form of campaign to raise funds where they're invested and receiving the product, but also have a reason to talk about it aggressively because that's how you start things out. No matter what, if you raise funds that way, and there's alternatives too that we'll talk about, always reserve a, por a portion to get more raw materials. The biggest mistake that businesses have that make products is every dollar they earn, they they put toward uh, SG&A expenses, the operations of the business. The owner may take some but they neglect to think about replenishing inventory. And for some businesses, that could be 40% or 50% of your revenue. So consider that. Also, be very considerate of your pricing. Typically, the manufacturing cost versus the retail price is a four times markup minimum. Sometimes five or six is better. And if we don't price enough, you're not going to have enough churn in the cash to support inventory churn. Alternatives to raising funds is friends and family. Now, there's a risk. These are people you're going to have Thanksgiving dinner with. And uh, if things don't go well, there's going to be a problem. So I just invite you to only invite in friends or family who see this as a gift to you. They'd like a return, but see that they can make this. It's not putting them at risk because otherwise you'll be risking your friendship. Uh, and the last thing is start slow and let it grow. It, it sounds nice when that big order comes in and there's a retailer says, we want 5,000 units but it could bankrupt you. You can try to go too big, too fast. So I invite you 
pursue actually small local boutique small stores where the orders are small quantity because therefore you can manage the churn. You'll have enough cash to support it, but also you can learn during the churn. It's often that product innovation happens as customers start giving you feedback and we need that early on. So there's some ideas for you, Christine. And, you know, I, I find working with entrepreneurs, especially retail, uh, boutique or retail store owners that uh, inventory beca- can become a very dangerous slippery slope and uh you know it, they they end up seemingly swimming in inventory uh and and you know it's just it's it's coming out of everywhere and it's in the back which means it's not even available for purchase. So you really have to watch your inventory levels and don't think that I need more if something's not selling, right? You've got to figure out the problem of why it's not selling. You've got to get rid of that asset or that inventory because that's holding up your cash from buying new inventory. So just be cognizant that, you know, again, more is not always better and, uh, and really make sure that you're churning, like Mike said, churning that inventory, not sitting on it, not thinking, Oh, I just need to buy this. And then this will help what's been sitting on the shelf for six months, not been touched. sell. that's not going to happen. You got it. You got to get rid of it as, as quickly as, as you can. And just buying more won't solve your problem. All right. Um, our next question comes from Kevin. Mike, I'm on my second read of Profit First. I have a startup home health agency. We are six months in and currently negative cash flow, building up a client base with our first goal of just breaking even. I'm going through chapter six, step by step to implement the Profit First system. I want to implement the system early on in the business to develop the mindset and disciplines you describe in your book. What, if anything, do I need to do differently in the process for a startup? Thank you very much. Kevin S. All right, Kevin. So for me, the sirens are blaring. The lights are flashing. Six months in, negative cash flow. I wonder, Kevin, how thoughtful you have been in what break even is. Now, I hope you have been. But I'll tell you what the standard is for most businesses, Kevin. Most businesses say... Ah, we'll, we'll be break even when we do maybe 500,000 or a million. And it's arbitrary. It's not thought out aggressively. And it's not thought out with absolute detail and therefore it becomes a moving target. And that's dangerous because it's like, well, we thought we'd do it at X dollars. We haven't. It's X plus the new number, X plus Y. And we keep making this a moving target. That's a problem. So what I would do is institute profit first immediately. Usually from day one, when I start a business, I go into the full taps, the target allocation percentages, because the business doesn't know better. And I start becoming profitable from client number one. Now, there may be in some businesses, hardcore fixed costs that are unavoidable. You can't provide the business. If I start a car wash um, and I only have one customer come through, I can't say, well, maybe let's not have any uh, car wash equipment. Or maybe I could, maybe I can do it with a bucket and some soap. So what we have to think about is, are there ways to repackage this business and still give the core final solution, the final output, the final commitment to our customers at a lower cost point? So what I do is if it's running negative cash flow, I still run profit first. Any cash flow comes through, I put into profit account and so forth. And then I look at the OPEX and it's telling me what the true OPEX is at this point that I must run on. And then I look at my business and say, how can I get here? We have to have hardcore conversations with ourselves. And if there's, quote unquote, no way to get there, how much time am I going to give myself to get there? And what must the sales be at? And where did I pull the parachute cord? 
Meaning if I need a hundred more customers in the next six months, or I'm in real deep trouble, whatever that may be defined as, where's the parachute cord? If I don't get 25 clients in the next two months, I commit to myself, I'm pulling it, I'm done. Because otherwise I'm going to aggravate this loss and put myself in a deeper hole. So Profit First is intended to have hard conversations right now. Still implement Profit First, do the full deployment of it, see where you are. And if you're running negatively, you got to fund it somehow. It's going to be coming out of your pocket or some kind of investor's pocket to find where that parachute cord is to make sure your business doesn't go too deep. You know, it's so common that uh, we, we tend to just, you know, think we can build it and they will come. But you're absolutely right. You have to know, like, what what are your numbers? What is it going to take to break even? And that starts with reverse engineering, right, guys? So we are doing a very special reverse engineering workshop on July 12th. So make sure that you go to ProfitFirstNation.com. Click on resources. When you opt into our resources, you will be on our mailing list or on our uh, texting list. And that's where you will get the login for that very special uh, reverse engineering workshop where we will walk you through and then provide you with the spreadsheet uh, that you can actually go through the exercise yourself and really get this figured out in terms of your numbers. I mean, I, I would say probably a good... 85% of the businesses that I work with and talk to, uh, you know, just really have no idea. Their head is in the sand when it comes to what is our break even point? What is it going to take? So we're actually going to do this reverse engineering exercise based off of owner's pay. So we're going to start with mm. what do you need to take home in terms of owner's pay and work your numbers from there using profit first, uh, percentages and, and, and then figuring out like how many sales you need to make. And what's cool about this too, uh, extended commercial here is that, uh, there's an opportunity for you to play with the price. So, you know, if you raise the price by, uh, 10%, 15%, 20%, et cetera, you can see what kind of impact that has. Uh, so it's a really cool interactive workshop and then allows you to take the, the worksheet and, and play with it yourself and really get your numbers figured in and dialed in. I also want to add that, you know, when you're a startup and, and this whole concept of thinking that, you know, if I build it, they will come. You know, I'm kind of surprised to be honest that you're struggling a bit because there is great demand for home health right now. So I don't know exactly what, what's, what's kind of keeping you from, from getting that revenue that you need to break even. But I would say that if you're not spending 80% of your time working on sales and marketing and talking to people, then this is just going to maybe take forever and you might not get there and you might run out of cash. So if you need salespeople, then you need to be like all in on focusing on what can you be doing? What do you need to be doing to be generating sales and not just kind of making yourself busy with non-essential, not important tasks, uh, and, and, and not putting yourself out there. You are going to get rejected. You're going to, you're going to go out there. You're going to try to make sales and you're going to get rejected, but that's okay. One out of 10 people will say yes. One out of 15 people will say yes. One out of 20 people will say yes. But if you don't do the reps and you don't ask for the business 20 times, you're never going to get that one yes. So make sure that you are putting yourself out there and really hustling for the sales. I, I would love to underscore that because it's such an important topic. Early stage businesses often focus on the wrong things. They say, oh, that logo is so important. Let me put every dollar into this logo. 
that no one will care about, or even the website design, in the very beginning, we don't know what's landing with the customer. We have a, a belief. We try to think of what the avatar wants, but until you do the reps, as you said, you don't find what people respond to. So the very early stages of the business is, is finding out, do we even have anything viable? And if we don't, how do we modify it until it becomes viable? So I don't know if that's true in Kevin's case, but it could be the situation. So I agree. We got to sell the crap out of this and it's a service that people need. So let's do that. All right. And uh, the next question from your inbox. Hello, I'm only two chapters into Profit First, but I'm completely convinced this is exactly what I need to do for my business. My question is about calculating real revenue and opening my first five bank accounts. I'm a sign language interpreter and have worked for myself for over 30 years. The income is very easy to calculate. I became a self-published author and started my own publishing imprint in 2019. 2022 was the first year I made more money than I spent. I really want to start off 2023 using your system. Do I treat these two things as separate businesses? My interpreting income varies with how many hours I work per month, which I try to keep at around 80 hours per month or more. That leaves me time to focus on writing more books and all the other publishing tasks associated with my book business. Or do I include all my income from both sources and try to maximize profit overall? I think my problem has been that the year, the last four years, of publishing, I've robbed from the interpreting income to offset beginning book expenses. And in reality, the publishing business wasn't making an overall profit until the last nine months. Thank you for your help. Kelly B. Hi, Kelly B. I hope you're listening now. Listen real closely. Uh, you said you think it's your problem. It is your problem when you blend two businesses together. Now, Kelly, I had a conversation with another company. I won't mention their name because I don't know if they want me to share it. They have six different things going on. They have a holding company. And they are very disparate businesses. And uh, they said, do we really need to do profit first for each business? I said, well, I got a real quick, simple question for you. Which businesses are healthy? Which ones are not? They said, well, overall, we're surviving check by check. I said, well, which one's pulling you down? They said, we don't know. We blend it together. That's the problem. When businesses are blended, you don't know if one's a crutch for another one if one's carrying it all, if they're equally performing or what's going on. So we need to separate these out. Now, the resistance, I guess, like, oh my gosh, I need to set up these five foundational accounts for my one business and the five foundational for the others. And the answer is, hell yeah. Did you set up a LLC or a proprietorship of some sort for each business? Probably you're reporting them separately. Hopefully you're doing the accounting separately. But no matter what, do the profit first separately. Uh, Danielle and I have a relationship with Relay Bank. I don't know if I told you, uh, Danielle, I set up a link called Bank Like Mike to make it easy because <laughs> that's the bank I use. Relay is an online banking platform. You go to banklikemike.com if you want to get a real easy setup on a bank and do it for both of your businesses. Now, what's going to happen is you're going to see that the interpreting business, for example, may be carrying your publishing business or vice versa because each of them will have their own income accounts. Each of them will have their own allocations and you'll see how profitable they are. And uh, when you see this, then we can start making smart decisions. Maybe interpreting is really just a side gig that brings in some extra money, but the publishing business uh, is making all the profit. And if you just devoted those hours you're spending in interpreting to publishing, maybe that business could explode or, or maybe the opposite is true, but we can never get to that diagnostic level. If you're blending the two together, separate them out, get a clear understanding of what's working and what's not working and then amplify what's working and resolve or abandon what's not. 
Awesome. That's just super advice. And it's always a treat to have you on these episodes ending in eight, Mike. So thanks for joining us. If you want to connect with a certified Profit First professional, make sure to go to ProfitFirstNation.com and click on connect. And as well, that's where you can leave questions for Mike and I to answer on future episodes as well. And if you send us those questions, don't worry. You don't have to wait for the episode to get a response. Uh, we, we respond to you directly via email or hop on a call with you, whatever it takes to get you sailing down the path to permanent profitability. And also, don't forget, we've got that reverse engineering workshop on July 12th. So make sure that you have opted into our resources at ProfitFirstNation.com. Cheers to another profitable day, my entrepreneurial friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Profit First Nation podcast. We hope you found today's episode valuable and that it's inspired you to take action towards achieving permanent profitability in your business. If you want to learn more about how to implement Profit First in your business and connect with a community of like-minded entrepreneurs, be sure to visit us at ProfitFirstNation.com to download our how-to guides and resources. Remember, permanent profitability is within your reach, and we're here to support you every step of the way. So let's do Profit First right together. First Nation website, related podcasts and videos are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Visitors should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional.